This is Safia Ahmad. And I'm Melanie DeRoche. And welcome to The Last Stretch, a sports podcast. Welcome to the Last Stretch Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Mel and I are really excited to be back in studio to record our third episode of the pod. Um, Obviously, as you all know, our podcast focuses on what does it take for an athlete to be the best of the best. Uh, But I personally don't think just looking at, you know, their physical technique, uh, you know, their mental strength or their accomplishments in their respective sports is enough when it comes to, uh, you know, looking at an elite athlete. I think their actions off Uh, You know, whether it's the field, the pitch, whatever, off from their respective sports uh, is really important, too. So that's why we had uh, Shireen Ahmed, who is a freelance uh, sports reporter based in Ontario, come on our show and talk to us a little bit about how uh, the media shapes our perception of elite athletes. Of course, uh, in the last uh, week or two, we've been hearing a lot about the Cristiano Ronaldo rape allegations. And, you know, we felt it was important to address this and kind of bring it to the broader idea of, okay, how do we look at our elite athletes and, you know, how should they be judged and whatnot? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, being an athlete, especially at the elite level, goes beyond just your performance. I mean, you're supposed to be a role model for, you know, your community, a role model for children. People look up to you. You have a platform and you have an influence. So, you know, with that comes a responsibility, not to quote Superman, (laughs) <laughs> but yeah but why not let's just quote Superman <laughs> but no absolutely I mean if you're if you're in a space where people are looking up to you as an elite athlete as a celebrity you have a responsibility to represent what a decent human being is so in our interview we're going to discuss what Shreen Ahmed has written about in Time Magazine and a little bit how it was to cover this story and again just the role of media in uh representing athletes and also just an athlete's role exactly and it's obviously a shift from our last episode when we had uh Corey kennedy talk about you know his work uh, at ins but we feel like it's an important issue to talk about and we want to provide some diverse content on our podcast so we hope you enjoy this interview check it out all right shereen well thank you so much uh for coming on our podcast Uh, we're really excited to have you uh what we wanted to talk to you about today was the role uh, that the media plays in shaping our perception of elite athletes. Um, I know you've been very busy with the coverage of the rape allegations against Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, you've written articles for Rewire and Time magazine. Uh, could you maybe tell us what that experience was like? Well, the experience of writing about it is, I mean, it's a story that I you know, had wanted to write and co-write with my friend, Brenda Elsie, who's also on the Burn It All Down podcast, and uh, the experience itself was really interesting. And when I say interesting, I mean frustrating because we wanted to, we've been wanting to write about this. The allegations against Ronaldo had been sort of circulating for a while, and we wanted to, to to write about it. So we pitched a bunch of different outlets. This is last year, and we've been talking about it. And then you know, Der Spiegel's article came out, which I thought was incredible. It was really well done. Journalistically, they had, uh, you know, sort of crossed the T's, dotted the I's. And I've written about this kind of thing before. Um, so I know how much legal has to go over it. The editors have a lot on their shoulders. 
and nobody wanted this story. And um, when I say nobody, I, I really mean that. Um, it was shocking to me at the time how difficult it was to get it placed. And then, of course, Rewire last year, our um, editor, Kat Jershich, said, um, you know, absolutely, no questions asked, you know, understands the process, the procedure. And we wouldn't be defaming Ronaldo. I mean, at this point, if you say something bad about Ronaldo's form, it's considered defamation, basically, by his followers and adoring fans. So we knew that it would be a big task, but we were up for it. Um, it didn't end up panning out last year for her and I to write it out, but that's on us. Rewire said fine. So this year, after sort of observing what had happened, seeing Dear Spiegel come out again with Captain Mayorga's story, you know, we knew we had to do it. So I wrote, a, Brenda and I did write the piece about it and then sort of made our focus media because that was, that was in our part of our opinion and our underlying theme. It, it was very much the problem was the way that media does this. Media not only reports on it, when they report, they report inaccurately and irresponsibly. So that was very much like part of the experience. And, you know, even today I'm getting mansplained, I'm getting emails, um, angry emails that, you know, the comments on the pieces are anywhere from, you don't know what you're talking about, you have no proof. Or, and I mean, my favorite comment is, were you there in the room? Like, that's not how journalism works. Wow. You don't have to be at the, like you're present during the crime to be able to report it. That's actually not how it works. There's documentation, there's evidence, there's testimony. I mean, her, Captain Mayorga, Mayorga's piece with their Spiegel is very detailed. Um, and, and, you know, like, I think that's just a vis- visceral reaction of people who don't want to hear something. Were you there? I, I actually almost find it comical. Yeah, I mean that's that's just a ridiculous statement to make. I I don't even understand how people can say that. But um, I guess what we really want to look into, obviously, I know that the experience of writing it compared to when uh, when the news came out last year in Der Spiegel uh, in 2017, no one was talking about it. And as you mentioned, now everyone's all over it. Uh, I'm sure the hashtag Me Too movement has played an important role in that. And, and I feel like the media feel obligated now to report on this. And a lot of outlets, uh, you know, I think of your writing, of course, uh, has done some great reporting on this issue. Uh, but it still remains that when I look at a lot of the headlines, I go on Google and I, you know, I, I'll type out Cristiano Ronaldo's name and, you know, it won't necessarily be about the rape allegations. It'll be about how he's not on he was not on Team Portugal uh, or, or or whatnot. And it's often, you know, you, you get this idea that Ronaldo is just this all oh, poor guy. He's not on the national team instead of really taking into account the seriousness of his allegations. And I guess that brings me to my next point is. What role does the media play in shaping our perceptions on uh, how we, you know, the reader, see elite athletes? Because obviously Cristiano Ronaldo and a number of other athletes have accomplished great things on the field or in their respective sports. But, you know, when I think of an athlete like, for example, Johnny Manziel uh, and his the assault, the physical assault uh, allegations against him. Uh, you know, people often just like kind of throw that in there. Uh, Mel, actually, when we were in the car driving on our way to the studio, kind of said a lot of times, you know, people, writers just kind of throw in 
those allegations uh, or that news within an article as like a disclaimer for a pharmaceutical company. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> just reference it as a when they're listing the side effects, you just spit them out real quick and hope nobody heard it. Exactly. Just to be like, hey, we put it in there. We're good. But obviously that's not enough. So I was curious to see what you thought about uh, you know, how the media plays in, in shaping our perception of these elite athletes when, you know, as an individual off the field or off whatever, you know, the rink, the basketball court, you know, they might be uh, faced with allegations or other, you know, very serious issues. Yeah, that's actually a really, really hilarious and very poignant point, Melanie, of like a disclaimer, like a pharmaceutical company. That's so true. You know, um, that, that's exactly what happens. I mean, to quote Marshall McLuhan, the great Canadian thinker, the medium is the message. And, I mean, we could have long conversations about how media shapes public perception and thinking, and we know this is true. We know this since time immortal, that the way that media presents stories is also how they will be digested. And, I mean, we saw this with Patrick Kane. I mean, other than I think Diana Moskowitz at Deadspin, the details and the reporting on that story. And because you are hockey folks, I think that's one that we can look to and say, well, wait, that's a very sharp example of this. I mean, the way that Patrick Kane now is reported on, you'd have no idea that he was implicated and involved in an extremely brutal case. And in scrums after games, nobody asks him. And in fact, with regards to Kane, the way that the questions are even asked, I remember reading about this and it made me physically ill. Somebody said, well, you do you feel vindicated because you've had such a great season. Like, Kane scoring goals and his performance on the ice is not correlated to the fact that a woman says she was really, really brutalized. Like, that's not how it works. And the thing with media and public is, it's twofold. Journalism is a learned craft. You hone it, you're taught it. But it's also in the industry. I didn't go to J school. So a lot of what I've picked up is being in the field. It's being in the industry. And you pick up from those around you. These kind of ways that outlets and editors, <clears throat> excuse me, allow and permit and enable this type of reporting is because they don't know how to do it themselves. They don't know how to report properly on sexualized violence. There are media toolkits. The Chicago Task Force has one, um, and Femifesto has one in, in Canada, and they're free. And they are written and put together by people who know how to talk about this, the language that's used, the way it's presented. These are free tools. Do you think that any editors in Canada or U.S. actually use these? No, hopefully journalists do. I don't think so. And and, and I, I, I don't see it because reporting, like you mentioned, on Ronaldo was, oh, well, he didn't make the Portuguese squad, but let's insert a quote from the coach talking about how great he is. Oh, my goodness. Like, it's just conflating everything all over the place. And very much, I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo was nominated for a Ballon d'Or award, which is, you know, one of the highest awards from FIFA. And um, in the Bleacher Reports, a newsletter, they, they link to a story, and it's basically like part of his bio, this case that's happening, when it shouldn't be just a one-liner in, in a story about his Ballon d'Or nomination. It should be the story. It is the story, and it's not just a sports story. It's just a story. It like, encompasses everything. And is it relevant to sport? Absolutely, because that has implications in the sports world. But it's not reported on thus, and you know, I have seen the way people, and it's not just because of who he is, 
as a player, but I see how media has, and there's historical examples of how people have enabled media, sorry, have enabled athletes. Lindsay Gibbs also burned it all down. Um, I'm going to shout out my co-host, like, incessantly. Um, um, she wrote in a really, really important piece. I wrote a, an article for the Cauldron, and it was subsequently put into the Best Canadian Writing in 2017, and it was... Uh, a comment. It was sort of like an essay on a response to somebody who wrote about how the Muslim community loves Kobe Bryant. And I was really struck by that because this is when Kobe Bryant was retiring from the NBA. And during that time, you know, people have a tendency to laud, uh, you know, public figures when they die. We forget about all the horrible things they've done. Well, this happens quite often with athletes when they retire. So it's kind of some kind of the same concept. And that's what happened with Kobe Bryant. And Lindsay wrote a piece specifically talking 2016 i believe talking about um how the media sort of vindicated him or just washed over what had happened and media i remember kobe bryant's uh presser and he sat there and he said to the media straight face his wife was beside him this was after the charges you know, the allegations and charges against him were getting very public. He's like, you guys know me. And everyone's like, oh, well, okay, yeah, you're right. Like, what? And he gets a pass for that? And it was that was just a very, very one specific example of how this happens. I think that, you know, that's part of the problem, is that media has traditionally has always been this fraternity. Sports media has been this fraternity. And it does allow for this to happen and it's not supposed to happen there's no ob objectivity there and when people and this is the other part is when people message me and say well you know you're not objective why don't you just believe Cristiano Ronaldo but the thing is is that we don't come from a system where the voices of women or, or survivors are even believed we're not even at that point of parity at all so the default is to give these powerful men a pass and that's not justice that's not accurate reporting it's lazy it's lackadaisical it's just and it's very very frustrating and it's a huge part of the problem it is the problem in my opinion yeah no absolutely um so you had mentioned sort of like a couple of years ago you guys had a hard time getting sort of an article like this published and obviously with the me too movement it seems maybe now you know it's created more of an outlet for articles like this to get published um, do you think it was just sort of like a strength in numbers, like more people were, like editors were accepting stories like this, that you've succeeded in maybe publishing something like this? Or what do you think has changed about um, sort of the media landscape that allows you to sort of speak truthfully about a situation like this? Or is it, you know, like society or us women as individual just being outspoken about, hey, you know, we have a voice and we want to see stories like this, we want the truth to come out? Um, can you speak a little bit to that? Like, what changed in the past two years that you think you have a little bit more of a platform to, you know, report um, accurate facts? Yeah, I don't think the media suddenly woke up and was moved by the Me Too movement. I don't think that happened. I think that the courage of people, of survivors to speak up and speak out is definitely the most important thing here that we have to keep in mind. I think that we know that women are on the forefront of all major social movements like and women of color specifically on resistance movements like black women and black lives matter that there's that example um so as far as me too goes 
it was the sheer number of women and non-binary folk who came out and then said, you know, this is our experience. But it got to a point where it was unavoidable. I don't think it was this, you know, eureka moment for those in sports media. And Women's Media Center publishes uh, statistics on who's in charge of editorial positions in media. And I mean, in the United States, in mainstream media, it's over 85% of white men. In sports media, it's more specific. The numbers are of women and women of color, of non-binary folk, of LGBTIQ, of, you know, disabled writers are minimal. And the numbers are subpar. So I will never believe that it's this, and I won't believe it because I don't see it. I don't see the change. Just sheerly reporting on something, presenting something isn't good enough. It's the way in which it's done that I have a problem with. Like the way Jessica Luther also on our, on our podcast said something and it stuck with me. She says, the way you tell the story is as important as the story itself. And if you just are going to be dismissive and, you know, you have a deadline and you just want to get a blurb out there, well, that blurb matters. That blurb, <clears throat> especially from major outlets and, and huge, uh, you know, media conglomerates, it matters. It's going to reach millions of people. And Me Too was very, very powerful in itself. But let's not forget, it did start as a grassroots movement. And it just it, it blew up to an extent where... It couldn't be ignored. And Catherine Mayorga said that she drew strength from the Me Too movement because what we, we know what happens. Somebody comes forward and they provide a space for someone else to come forward. And we've seen that since I wrote the Time Magazine article, which was, I think, a couple of days ago, got published Friday or Saturday. Um, three other women have come forward against Cristiano Ronaldo. And these, you know, these type of events, and, and, and sports media doesn't actually work in silos. It, it doesn't work like that, and nor do these things happen in a vacuum. So it creates space for other women to come forward, which they have. So that's one of the huge benefits. And I hope these women and the survivors coming forward, you know, get that strength and get the support they need. Because on the one hand, I'm only writing about it, and I'm getting horrible emails and messages and remarks. I can't imagine what the survivors are going through. And, you know... Mayorga knows us, which is why she's sort of slipped under the radar for now, is because she's, people are going to come at her in every way, and people are. Like, I have comments coming at me, slut-shaming her. Wow. And it, we see this all the time, and this is just general public. So it's it's really, it shows us how much we have to do, and it also really, really underscores how much society values women in general. It's really eye-opening. It's disappointing, obviously. Um, especially because it seems like with, you know, athletes or, you know, the Kavanaugh story, high-powered white males, um, it's kind of like they're exempt from the basic law. And, you know, it's frustrating that Ronaldo's probably going to live on have a great soccer career. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's sort of like time served. I don't know why society th- feels like, oh, they're good at their sport, so, you know, that's time served we can forget about what happened um in vegas and i guess what do you think your role is as a journalist because i'm not a journalist like is, do you think your role is to keep athletes in check and why do you think athletes 
feel like they don't have to be responsible for their actions because they're good at the sport because like I'm an athlete and for me like we talked about it just a couple days ago with our team like what does it mean to be a professional athlete and for me it means to be a good role model like being an athlete is beyond myself it's representing women's hockey it's playing for the women who played before me and for the little girls after me do you feel like, I guess, male athletes, I want to say, don't feel that responsibility or don't want to bear that responsibility? Well, there's, that's, a, that's a really important point, too, about why is there the sense of impunity that, you know, because society is steeped in that. Powerful men don't face consequences. Like, you have a, a self-proclaimed abuser of women as president of the United States right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, yeah. can, it can't be more clear... <laughs> We can't be more clear yeah. in, in, in how, how we feel about that. And in terms of my role as a journalist, <clears throat> I'm not responsible to keep athletes in check. I've never thought of it like that. But it's to report accurately on what happens in the sides of the story that don't get told, which are really, really important and are missed and glossed over. And why athletes would feel that way is because that's just basically the way it goes. And I think that if stories were like this were reported more often and more responsibly and when I mean responsibly I mean in a way that doesn't cater to the reputation of the athletes we would we would see more there are those people out there like you know like my co-hosts uh, on the show and I was having a conversation with Amira Amira Davis and you know we were sort of talking about this and it's this has happened since the beginning and women are left out women are of of of, <clears throat> of of the way the stories are even if they're positive they're left out of it and i think that it's in addition to telling the stories and 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 making sure they get out there there's also that personal responsibility that i do feel like i do believe survivors i've worked before i started writing full-time i worked frontline with survivors of violence in a settlement agency in toronto like and it really shaped the way that i think and shape the way that I maneuver. I learned an unlearned language. I learned how to understand, and I see that the system is not a justice system, it's a legal system. People are like, well, innocent till proven guilty. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, do you understand that if they're proven not guilty in court, it doesn't mean they actually didn't do it. It just means they weren't proven guilty in a court of law. And this is a system that doesn't support survivors at all. In Canada, we saw that with Jan Gomeshi. Like, it was unbelievable. And there's loopholes, the legal system is not perfect, and it's not meant there, and, and more powerful, the athlete. Like, Cristiano Ronaldo is undoubtedly and arguably the most popular and powerful athlete in the world. His legal team is will charge millions, but they'll do that work for millions. And that is everything from ripping Catherine Mayorga apart personally, professionally, I mean, get trying to contact every single partner she's ever had like her life will completely be, you know, looked at with a microscope. And that is daunting. Like she's taking, she has literally taken on Everest in that regard. And when you think about the trauma inflicted to her, that, you know, what she's endured physically, emotionally, psychologically, it's huge. And the least we can do as media is be responsible. The least we can do is be fair. The least that we can do is look at. I mean, that's why the piece that I, wrote with, I co-wrote with Brenda is so important because it's not only pointing fingers 
and athletes and saying, oh, they were so bad. This It's holding media accountable for the way that they do their job. That is really important. And I would love to see, you know, my male colleagues get a little bit more insight and this whole idea of, oh, well, you know, women will do it. That's part of the problem <laughs> that, oh, well, Shireen's going to do it. Brenda did it. You know, Jessica is going to go on BBC or Lindsay will write for Everything Progress or Mira will teach it in her classroom. Like, they leave that type of work without realizing that they're part of the problem also and they need to be part of a solution. I completely agree with that. I think responsible journalism is something that's very important and should be taken more seriously. As someone who did go to J school, it wasn't something that we learned too, too much about, um, which I think is a shame because I, spe- I think especially in this day and age when we have so many uh, women coming out and talking about these important issues and sharing their very, very personal stories to the public, uh, it's it's more it's it's our responsibility as people in the media to accurately report and to give them a voice and to share that and I I totally know what you mean when you say oh a woman's gonna gonna cover that because I mean obviously we like and we have a variety of different media um, members but you know a lot of a lot of them tend to be women covering women's sports which I think on the one hand is really good because. I think there should be more women in the industry, but I always find that, oh, okay, it's it's women's hockey, therefore we should get a woman to cover it, which I think is kind of like, while she could cover women's hockey, she can cover men's hockey. That shouldn't be your criteria for choosing someone. Uh, that's just a yeah. sidebar that I wanted to, to make because that's just what I thought when you were talking. Um, I just want to ask you one more question, Shireen, since we're running out of time a bit here. Um, I, as you know, our podcast is about determining, you know, what makes an athlete be the best of the best. Uh, when Mel and I, you know, when we came up with this concept, we were looking a lot at, you know, physically, what does it take? Mentally, what does it take? But uh, ever since we actually started, you know, ever since we recorded our first two episodes, I realized, and I think Mel realized too, that there are so many ways we can tackle this. Uh, and in one way, it's looking at it socially and also politically. Um, and something that you and I have talked about in the past, Shireen, is how we have, you know, society has this tendency to kind of separate the individual from the athlete. So it's okay, for example, for an athlete to be so good, uh, you know, such a talented uh, individual uh, on the field or whatever and, and have so many accomplishments. But what they do outside of their respect, respective sport is none of our business or shouldn't matter, which I think is hugely problematic and plays a role in how it's reported in, our, in the sports media landscape. Um, in your opinion, you know, is it, you know, judging an elite athlete from a physical and a mental standpoint, is that enough anymore? Especially now that more and more uh, women and other individuals are coming out and talking out against these athletes. And, and yet the way that it's reported and the way they're portrayed is like, well, you know, they they did this. You know, they were accused of X, you know, X, uh, X offense. But, you know, they're winning championships and whatnot, and it doesn't matter. So, you know, in your opinion, is it important for us uh, to start, you know, looking at athletes m- from more than just a physical and a mental standpoint and really looking at them more as complete individuals? I think that media, what they do is they selectively do this already. I mean, there's certain athletes like, LeBron is criticized. LeBron was criticized when he didn't talk about Tamir Rice. Raheem Sterling in the U.S. Uh, plays for Manchester City uh, soccer team. He's completely scrutinized by media. So there's also issues of race privilege here that we talk about. Media has a tendency to focus and villainize 
uh, athletes of color already and women and LGBTIQ athletes. They do do this already. It's just, and with Cristiano Ronaldo, he's actually at the upper echelon of, of privilege. He's a white man and a straight white man. And I think that this idea of, you know, they're individuals, like we're in a time and a place with social media and, you know, that reporting on someone's assault, reporting on a crime committed by this athlete is not being invasive. It's reporting what has happened. And there's a difference. Like we're not going through and judging this person on their actions and in terms of their choices the way that Catherine Mayorga would be. Like people are like, oh, well, look at her. She was there. This idea of slut shaming women and it never applies to men. So even the concept that elite athletes, like Lindsay Vaughn, for example, the skier, she's scrutinized way more. Absolutely, personally and professionally, I think. And so this doesn't apply to, so it's either um, women are being highly scrutinized or not given any media attention at all <laughs> in terms of their sport. So this whole notion of, you know, should we, are we being intrusive? There's a way, I mean, we're not TMZing here. Like I'm not camped out outside Ronaldo's child school. <laughs> That's not necessary, nor is it relevant. But because that happens as well. But the the idea here is that this is something that happened. This is relevant. It is relevant because he is such a public figure. Mm -hmm. And when he is lauded as a role model and, you know, as a philanthropist, then he himself is putting in his own personality and persona out in public. He's a, he's a master of that. The way that his PR team crafts him, his image. So, He's opened the door for people to report accurately on what has happened. If it was something like Tim Duncan, who's in the back all the time, he's never out in the spotlight, and he's you know can still be scrutinized. I'm not saying Tim Duncan is immune to anything, and these are conversations that I've had with my friends. Like, what happens if you find out that your favorite athlete, favorite athlete, who's you know a really good person, has come out with this, has been hit with an allegation? What do you do? And, and, and people sort of like, oh, no, no, I would like totally die. Yeah, if Andreas Iniesta was accused of sexualized violence, I would probably die, but I would cancel him because that's what needs to happen. It's just predicated on this fear of wanting to, we can't let them go because we revere them so much. That's also part of the problem. Yeah, no, you guys talked about that on your show, um, I think a couple of weeks ago last week. Um, yeah, I guess, I mean, it's the same with celebrities. I mean, Bill Cosby was a lot of people's favorite comedians and... I mean, I hope everyone has changed their opinion about that. But although we would love to talk all day with you because this is really enlightening and I'm really enjoying it, um, I just want to thank Shireen for coming on our show. Um, it's been really fun, and you guys should really check out the Burn It All Down podcast. It's amazing, um, very insightful, and moving. I mean, I I feel like empowered or very frustrated after I listen to every one of your shows, but it's good. It, it also keeps me in check too, like just, uh, you know, reflecting on what's happening in the media right now and how, how can I change sort of, but thank you so much for coming on the show, Shereen. It's been amazing. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. And best of luck with the podcast. I think it's amazing. And best of luck for the Canadian this season. I'll see you October 27th in Toronto. Oh, awesome. Ooh. Yeah. We're starting uh, this weekend. So I'm really excited. Uh, Shereen, do you want to just t share everyone your handles and Twitter, your podcast? Go for it. Sure. Thanks. You can find me at www.shereenamad.com. 
uh, and uh, I'm at underscore Shireen Ahmed underscore because I don't know I couldn't think of a better Twitter handle <laughs> and um, burn it all down is at burn it all down pod on Twitter and we also have a website burn it all down pod.com so everybody check us out thank you so much for having me to have this really important discussion and it, I think that um, you know there are and Safia you as well in your role I remember speaking with you guys and um, at the link about De Gea and Cristiano Ronaldo last year. Mm-hmm. So there are pockets of hope and joy of people who do it. And I know that Double Pivot podcast in the States also had me on to talk about De Gea. So there are, there are those lights that shine in those dark places. So I just wanted to leave hopeful, not frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Shireen. We really appreciate your time. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Topics of High Importance, a podcast where we get high and explore food, science, gaming, pop culture, and beyond. Filled with super tangents, forgetful flubs, and that awkward kind of tension that can only be produced by a married couple. Topics of High Importance on the Upford Network. Join us, won't you? <laughs> I'm Tom Zalatni host and producer of Up for Discussion, a long-running comedy podcast on the Upford Network. Every week, me and my team of hilarious improvisers use audience-submitted questions to dive deep and delicious into every topic under the sun. Nothing is off-limits. The audience has full control. It's like going to an improv show, only it's in your ears, and nobody's asking to see a scene about sex toys. Hopefully. One reviewer called it an underappreciated cult classic. Another reviewer called it not a very compelling product. Go check it out and see for yourself. The Up for Discussion podcast. Available wherever fine podcasts are sold. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, leave a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. It's the best way for the show to grow. Follow us on Twitter at MelTheRock and at Saf's underscore on the go. Our podcast also has a Twitter account at LastStretchPod. Special thanks to James Blonde for letting us use their track, My Fair Lady, as our theme music. You can find all their music for sale at jamesblonde.ca. This show is produced and edited by producer Tom Zalatni as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. The Last Stretch, a sports podcast. (laughs) 